This episode of It's Not a Race contains strong language. Hi, it's Beverly here with you for another episode of It's Not a Race. And I don't make this podcast all by myself. Leona Hamid is the producer of this fine series. Hi, Leona. Hi, Beverly. Of all the episodes we're making, why is this one special to you? Because this episode is about multiracial identities and that really describes who I am. So my mum's white Australian and my dad's from Maldives. I have a younger brother. I have an older sister. Um, She's 18 months older than me and her name is Monique. I look quite um, racially ambiguous. I I look, sometimes I look Italian, sometimes I look Greek. Um, People tell me I look Indian. People tell me I look Maori. That's such a a huge range to me. I I don't think like I look like any of those races really. Like I think I, I don't know what I look like, but I look quite, I look ambiguous. People think that I am from wherever they think I'm from. And that's kind of helpful for me because it means I can kind of blend in. But Monique didn't really have that. She has darker skin. She has curlier hair. Um, And for that reason, I think that we had kind of a lot of different experiences growing up in terms of our racial identity and in terms of what kind of racism we received. And it's not something we've ever really talked to each other about. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. How are you guys? Good. How are you? I wanted to ask her about it. So I went over to my sister's house for brekkie. I was thinking of doing scrambled eggs with the, you know, the um, Berber spice mix. I remember one time mum bought us two sports bras. Do you remember this? <laughs> we have similar voices, I know. That's me talking and Monique is the one laughing. And one of them was <laughs> quote unquote skin coloured, except neither of the, <laughs> not our skin colour. And one of them was black. And like, I got home first and she was like, just pick whichever one you want. And I was like, obviously I'm taking the black one because that's like some weird flesh colour that does not suit me. And then you came home and you were like, why have I got this skin colour one? Because it like extremely didn't suit your skin tone. And you came into my room and you tried to be really nice about it. And you were like, I can't, you can't make me wear this. And I was like, it's not my skin colour either. And that made you really upset. And I remember you kind of stormed off. And at the time I was like, Monique gets everything. Monique always gets to decide like what she wants. It's not my skin colour either. So why should I have this stupid flesh coloured bra? whenever I think about it as an adult I just feel like so guilty because it wasn't really the same for you like it would have been fine for me to wear this stupid bra yeah I would have made you feel like shit about it (laughs) well it might be good to know that I don't remember that it's not like (laughs) scarred me for life a formative well you're lucky she wasn't scarred over a bra yeah, it's a huge weight off my shoulders. Thank goodness. <laughs> See, it's great to talk. It's great to get these, these things out in the air. Totally. But there were other things, right? Yeah, totally. Here's Monique again. There have been times where I've become more aware of the differences between us. Um, so I think growing up, I think I looked more like racialized in quotations than you because of those things of having darker skin, curlier hair. And I think that would have definitely had an impact, but it also was about where we grew up. And I think it was very Greek, Italian. And because you looked more ambiguous, you had lighter skin and straighter hair, you could kind of fit into that. And mm. I didn't get that access. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like, like the guy on the corner of our street thought I was a nice Greek girl. He was said that every time he saw me. <laughs> yeah. And then like when the whole family would be there, it's like even me being your sister without you as being 
like differently raced. You know? At me as being differently raced. Yeah, like if I'm standing next to you, yeah. then it becomes apparent that you're not Greek or Italian. I don't think I ever consciously felt like upset or annoyed, but mm. I think it did change like who I was friends with and how I saw myself. I didn't really have that option to like float under the radar at times. But I think like it's not as easy as saying that it was harder for me and easier for you because I remember talking to you about the things that you hear and that people say to you thinking that you're not that thing Mm. and that that means you often have to bear witness to a whole lot of racism Mm. and it still affects you but, you know, you might not get that polite like, oh, don't say that in front of her. But it's so funny because growing up I thought you had more belonging than me. Yeah. Like I didn't think you were having those feelings when you were growing up as a kid. Mm. I felt like you must feel like you fit because to me it looked like you fit really well. Being the product of parents of different races, we hear the terms biracial, multiracial, half, hapa, and mixed to describe this. And there's this idea that gets thrown around in different ways. That people with multiracial heritage are the key to some kind of beautiful post-racial, colorblind future utopia where everyone has ambiguously golden or light brown skin, curly hair, an exotic blend of facial features, and racism doesn't exist anymore. But 2017 marks the 50th anniversary of Loving versus Virginia, the landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision legalizing interracial marriage in 16 states. And here in Australia, mixed-descent children of Indigenous and European heritage were forcibly removed from their families as part of the Stolen Generations. So how does the caramel-coloured post-racial myth actually match lived experience? It's like you and I actually have a lot more in common than people would think if we were walking down the street, right? Sure. But someone's going to assume that I'm Chinese, which is funny because I was raised to identify as Taiwanese. I'm not Chinese. I'm right. Taiwanese for political reasons, right? right? And you're like, I'm Chinese. I'm like, no, you're black. Yeah. <laughs> you're some kind of black. I don't know what kind of black. I don't know what African country, yeah, what but you're like... black are you? <laughs> Hello, my name is Faustina Agoli. I... Oh, or Fuzzy. <laughs> I'm a broadcaster, producer, writer, and actor. That dissonance of your inside not matching with the outside and what yeah. people expect of you. Yeah. What is the, what's the impact on you then when you're kind of moving through the world? I think I only understood the repercussions of that later on in life as I got older, as I moved out of my innocent bubble of, you know, family loving me and, um, you know, cultivating this Chinese culture within me. It simmered a little bit while I was working on video hits at Channel 10. I I realised subconsciously I only picked Channel 10 as a network because I saw black people on that network and it really was kind of the only network that had black people on TV while I was growing up. Mm. And I didn't realise the poignancy of this question, but every time there would be a black artist that would come to Australia, like Ice Cube or, I don't know, name a black artist, like any black artist that would come and I would interview – they would always say, you're the first black person I've seen in this country for five days. And now having spent so much of the last few years of my life in America, I understand the weight of that statement and that makes me quite sad. Um, they would have been really happy to see you? Yeah, yeah, they were thrilled, but they were like, this is weird. They, but, they would always come to me and go, this is fucking weird. And what did you say? I, I, I just didn't, I wasn't conscious then. I wasn't woke then. you were used so to it. I was so used to it. Yeah. So I was just like, huh, well, welcome to Australia. I get the sense sometimes that mixed race kids are prized or fetishized. Yeah. Like 
for example, when I was pregnant, people who I liked, people who were my friends, people who I respected, people who I got along with great, and they were happy for me, would come up to me and say that I got it a lot. they say, oh, you're going to have a mixed race baby. She's going to be so cute. Yeah. Oh, mixed race baby is so cute. Half Asian baby is so cute. Yeah. And I knew they meant well. And I knew it was meant as a compliment. And I would smile politely. But I felt quite uncomfortable with that. Because yeah. first of all, it's really personal. <laughs> you had sex with a white man and now you're having a baby. Yeah. Very personal. <laughs> Didn't know we were going to go there, but okay, since you raised it, that's what happened. Um, and second of all, I would just think, like, what does that say about the non-mixed babies, the quote-unquote full Asian, Asian babies? Like, yeah. I am a full Asian person. I'm using finger quotes. And is there implication that we're less desirable, that we're, like, ugly, less attractive, less appealing? I think there is. I just generally think there is because... We, you know, we're visual people. So when we do see pictures of, of, you know, the mixed race babies that kind of cut through the media do look beautiful. And that, I think, is the one vision that... But beautiful people cut through the media. Beautiful people cut through, period. And so, and therefore the mixed race kids would would cut through more than, I guess, regular race, mono race, monoracial people. (laughs) Boring, full Asian me. (laughs) Yeah. They just, I think, because... Uh, you know, you're blending cultures and you're blending, um, yeah, different tribes of people together. And so they're like, oh, is this this is what's possible for us. But also, I mean, within that, there's a hierarchy, right? Absolutely. It's like, what, one down from the Aryan race? <laughs> Faustina Agali will be back later to speak of the wonders of Oprah's hugs. So being biracial doesn't mean instant belonging with both groups. For Lucy Cutting and Ketchianelli, friends who both happen to have one white Australian parent and one Nigerian parent, it sometimes feels like quite the opposite. So they decided to build the pin.org, a platform for biracial Australians. Here's Lucy. We were trying to fill the gap of the fact that there isn't really much media out there um, about or for um, multicultural Australia. I'm going to use that term even though I'm not particularly crazy about it. Um, So basically, Ketchy had done a bit of research herself just because she was interested and had tracked down this this book written in America all about the biracial experience. But there's just nothing like that in Australia, at least there wasn't when we created the pin. And so we felt that it was important that we give voice to this kind of biracial and bicultural Australia from an Australian perspective so that there was something out there that people could access and people could create this kind of network where they could either learn about being biracial or bicultural or meet other people who are. How about you, Ketchy? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the time we learnt about who we were in two pieces. I'd learn about my dad's African culture and I'd learn about my mum's Irish heritage. And you might recognise that voice. Ketchy Anelli is also the host of Roots and All on Triple J. They never were one story and never made sense to me. And it was really hard to kind of discuss your perspective with people who don't understand what it's like to be white and be black at the same time. How has your reaction to that question, where are you from, changed over the years? Um, I think for me, it was a question of frustration. And and in certain situations, it still is. 
I think a lot of people think that by asking someone where they're from, they're making them feel special or that they've got this kind of secret to them that makes them special. But really, when you're asked the question, where are you from over and over again, it starts to turn into why are you here to the person who's asked that, because I could be asked that four to five times in one day. Um, And for me, the question brings on a lot of anger because I do get asked a lot and because I don't think the people asking the question are really invested in your answer. They just want to put you in a category um, that suits them. And Lucy? I find it interesting because it is a question predominantly asked by, you know, the dominant um, culture in Australia. So often it's a question I find that is asked by white people. um, And I find that my reaction can sometimes be a bit defensive. But I also find sometimes it can be a point of uh, similarity and connection with people of colour, but it also can sometimes be an experience of feeling judged by people of colour because quite often, um, say, if I meet another person who is of Nigerian background and they ask me where I'm from and then I say, you know, my mother's Nigerian, I'll often ask other questions like, so can you speak uh, her, her language? Can you cook the food? Do you know? Do you know anything about that country? So it kind of, there's lots of different variations on how I feel about it and it all depends on who asks it and and when it's asked and how. How do you feel about the term biracial? Is that that one that suits you, Lucy? I think sometimes you just need to find a label and, you know, as much as we don't want to be labelled or pigeonholed, sometimes it's just necessary in some respects. I try not to use it too much, but when I feel like I need to get specific, it's usually what I turn to. Yeah, I'm the same. If I need to get specific, I say biracial. I don't, I used to like the term mix Mm. um, until I spoke to um, a friend who is manager of Uncle Jack and we talked about what mixed means in Australia and in the Australian context, um, especially with Indigenous people when they talked about breeding out and how that term can be deemed offensive, even though for me, my history doesn't have a similar, um, that word doesn't have a similar meaning. Yeah, I had to be considerate of using that, especially when it comes to creating the pin and when you want to create a platform where people feel safe and like that they can be themselves on that platform. So I kind of say biracial now because it's, it is kind, it is accurate. My mum is white. My dad is black. I'm um, a product of two different races. Yeah. How about half? I don't really like the term half because I'm not, I don't see myself as half of anything. And I think that's the thing that people really struggle with. I find the term half or half cast really offensive because I'm not half of anything. I'm a full person with a fully lived experience and in a way is saying that I'm not complete or I'm not normal in the same way that everyone else is, but I am the product of two people the same as everyone else. They just happen to be different colours and I'm a blend of both. When it came to you and your parents... Did you run into people asking pointed questions about your relationship? Catchy. I'll start with you. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh so hard. Uh, yeah, um, I've had two scenarios. I had one um, when I was about a teenager. I was probably, I think I was around 15, but not saying that this is an excuse for it at all. I did hit puberty quite early compared to other people. I, I think I hit puberty when I was around nine and a half and ten. Um, so I was the height that I am now as an adult by the time I was like 13. Um, and I was out with my dad and one of his friends who had obviously never met me before asked him if I was his new wife. And 
it's like the most skin crawling repulsive thing I could ever think of. And I've also had recently, um, I went on a holiday with my mum um, to Samoa and they thought that I was her young lover um, because my mum has short hair. I did not expect yeah. you to say that. Yeah. So um, people think it's weird when they see, especially when they see me with my mum because my mum's quite Irish looking and although I pretty much embody all of her personality, I do not look like her really at all unless you really we have very telling kind of things that we both do that makes you think duh they're this like they're obviously mother and daughter um but I also have uh my mum has told me that when I was younger um she got asked where she got us from um and my I remember once being in a store where um someone asked my brother, who was with my mum at the time, who his daddy was. Yeah, um, people often think I am my dad's wife um, and it's really awkward. And it's we actually used to work together, so I he used to um, actually be a producer and I worked as his assistant. So I would go with him on these kind of business trips and because we share the same name but we look absolutely nothing alike, so the surname, people would just assume that we were married and it just happens so often and it kind of, it happened enough that I kind of actively at the start of conversations would say, oh, by the way, I'm Steve's daughter, just to make just sure putting there it out no there. in the conversation. <laughs> Nobody's asked, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that I'm his daughter. I am his daughter. <laughs> How about dating? Can we talk about dating? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Lucy. Lucy. <laughs> I like your deflection. Nah, I'm, I can go first. Um... A lot of my thoughts when it came to liking people growing up and even liking the person I'm with now was that that they wouldn't like me because I wasn't white and that was a thought that I had quite loudly in my head growing up or um, when it came to meeting people who did have an interest in me, they tended to have a very exotified version of me in their head, um, not realising that I grew up in Melbourne and there's nothing exotic about me. But I don't know if that's, if I wasn't black, I don't know if I, that thought would have been replaced with something else. Yeah, yeah there's I was, always going to be something, isn't there? Yeah, but, but I was very much aware that because um, I, I, when I grew up, I kind of, as a reaction to feeling so non-white, I had very white friends. And so I always thought, I was kind of never really looked at as someone that could date the people within my group. So I felt that because of my skin colour that people probably wouldn't consider me as like a person of interest for them. But oh boy, was that like really kind of thrown back in my face. Because, um, because when I did want to like when I was going out to parties and stuff uh, with the person I'm with now. I found out that he was seeing someone who was half Nigerian and half Irish. And I... And like, what really, is going yeah. on? Yeah. And I really had to kind of take a step back and think... Was it you, Lucy? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a nice yeah, twist? That would be so funny. <laughs> but I did have to take a step back and realise that my views were quite racist towards myself and that I was discounting myself based on my own skin colour. Do you become really self-conscious about people showing interest in you and kind of for what reason and why would they be asking this and who did they date before? Check out. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually do ask people this, <laughs> but not but not in a way where it looks like I'm doing research, but I'm definitely doing research. Okay, so tell, um, tell walk us through that process for you, Lucy. What's your kind of sly way of doing the background <laughs> check? So, you know, just kind of like, oh, what's your, um, your ex-girlfriend look like? Like, 
you know, does she have curly hair? Or? As curly as mine? Actually, yeah, exactly. Like, can you can you run your hands through that hair? Like, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> um, but it's very similar to Ketchy. I always thought I was really unattractive, and I didn't I didn't fit a certain mold. And I remember the first time I ever tried to straighten my hair, and I thought I'm going to look so hot because I've got this straight hair, and it was terrible, and it burnt my hair, and like I looked like some kind of um, 1980s news reporter in the worst way possible. Now that I'm a little bit older and I guess I've seen a few more people, it it is something I'm still conscious of in the sense that I'm very aware that sometimes you do come across people who want to fetishise you. So people who say things like, you know, I want a sexy caramel lady, um, people who... <laughs> not who to your face, hopefully to, not. Oh, No, they said it to my face. Oh, it was disgusting. No. <laughs> but it was a really great filter for saying no and just completely moving on. Um, people who have... I had this guy come up to me in a bar and like stroke my skin and he couldn't speak English like he was French speaking but all he was saying was um cafe latte cafe latte I was like oh god it was disgusting and he kind of stroked my face and like gently kissed it it was really that's that's shocking that's That's shocking I you just made my face freeze in a grimace of horror I think we need a palate cleanser after that cafe latte story from Lucy Cutting don't you In the words of the great lady herself, it's time to remember your spirit. This Oprah hug moment brought to you by Faustina Agali. Back in 2015, Faustina spent a couple of weeks on the road with Oprah Winfrey as the DJ on her Australian tour. An Oprah hug is the best kind of hug you will ever receive. What does it feel like? Warm. And it feels like a million angels have like cuddling you at once. Is it all encompassing? Yeah. And there's a is there a bit of a linger? There's a linger. Oh, oh there's many lingers. And she'll keep on hugging you. If you're in a small oh room with her, she'll keep God. on hugging you. <laughs> yes, just linger there for a while. Hit rewind. Replay that description over and over again. Cause it's free. Faustina Agali is Faustina the Fuzz on Twitter. Check out the pin at thepin.org and the pin online on Twitter. They're also on Instagram. I'm at Beverly Wang, and this has been hashtag Not a Race. I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share, and review It's Not a Race on iTunes. It really helps other people find us. And if you want to send us a photo of your iTunes review, we'll send you a limited edition It's Not a Race sticker. Yes! Too much? Oh. And it's voice memo time. Hi there, Beverly. Love the show. I'm in my mid-30s, and it's taken me this whole time to see Asian faces on Aussie TV. So thanks, Lawrence Long, Ben Law, Ando, Ronnie Cheng. And thank you, Beverly, for your podcast. So I'm a teacher at a really multicultural school. But every morning when I walk past the promotional posters, I see four white faces and one Indian student. It makes me kind of sad, kind of angry. Where are our Indigenous students, our African, Asian, Middle Eastern kids? These are the kids I teach. In this school, white kids are a minority, but you wouldn't know it from our marketing. I went to a focus group for a new marketing campaign for the school. I suggested our sign should show the full diversity of our kids. And the marketing people said, oh no, we can't do that because of white flight. They use those words, white flight. White parents don't want to send their kids to a school where they might not be the majority. We're chasing that racist dollar. 
But I take my cut every fortnight, so I can't complain, huh? Ooh, sounds complicated. Want to tell us what you think? Here's how to do it. It's simple to do if you have a smartphone. Find the voice memo app, hit record and start talking. Save the message and email it to the podcast. Not a race at abc.net.au. And these and these are the people who made the podcast, okay? And these are the people who made the podcast. Beverly Wang was your host. Marty Peralta. Do, 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 do. Made the music. Leona Hamid was the producer. And Matthew Crawford. Did uh, the soundy thing. Was the sound person. Um, I hope that's all good. Bye, guys. Beverly, I have a question for you. Sure. What would you do for an Oprah hug? Not not anything to do with, like, my child. <laughs> that was my immediate thought. No. I just want to be close to her, but I've never thought about the threshold. Like, I'd gladly give up a day of work. <laughs> no problem there. <laughs>